God obviously did a miracle to prevent the sin of a father from passing to the child. That's the miraculous uh, fact that he was virgin conceived. But how did this fetus, embryo, child develop in the womb of Mary so that none of the sin of Mary's own heart or nature passed through to the child? Now, Roman Catholics answer this by going back a generation and say God did a miracle in the birth of the Virgin Mary. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and today we have a very full program on our message, The Kingship of Christ, Luke chapter 1. We also have a couple of hymns, Good Christian Men, and Gentle Mary Laid Her Child. Firstly, we have a extract of Benjamin Wallen, the hymn writer. Rejoice, ye saints, in every state. Divine decrees remain unmoved. No turns of providence abate. God's care for those he once has loved. Firmer than heaven his covenant stands, though earth should shake and skies depart. You're safe in your Redeemer's hands, who bears your names upon his heart. Mia's Pond seems a strange name for a particular Baptist chapel right in the middle of Southark, London. Apparently, the area was formerly the place of the abbots of battle, and the mazes were luxurious windings in a magnificent garden. Here, Benjamin Wallen was brought up, his father being the honoured pastor, a friend of Dr. Gill. The doctor, not given to flattery, gave Wallen Sr. a wonderful character at his funeral. Benjamin, for a time, was completely unaffected by his father's excellent preaching later speaking of the insufficiency of the best of means without a special blessing. But before his father died, his son was called by grace and baptized. He was well educated under John Needham and Dr. Joseph Stennett. Having had an accident as a child, he was lame, with difficulty in walking, though this improved after his 14th year. Going into business, he seemed to prosper, and believed this was how he ought to spend his life. However, God's purposes are not our purposes, and the Lord had another design for him. The deacons and church members at Mia's Pond pressed him again and again to preach, following the death of his father. Again and again he declined. His only reason was, when I consider the design of such a call to be employed in preaching the gospel— the very thought strikes me with terror. It is a work of an awful nature. Eventually, led by the Lord, he accepted the call, and after a time was appointed pastor at Mia's Pond, an office he honorably held for over forty years. At one time he wrote for advice whether he should preach. To Gil Stennett, Wilson and Brine, all eminent men, and each one said yes. In one way, it is remarkable that Wallen should be a hymn writer and that he should publish a collection of hymns. The church at Mia's Pond had originally been formed by members who seceded from Benjamin Keach's church because they did not believe in congregational singing. Benjamin Wallen was an extensive writer, most of his publications being sermons or prose works. When Dr. Samuel Stennett took his funeral, 
He described him as an able and faithful minister of the gospel, and spoke of how holily, justly, and unblameably he lived. Hearers during his lifetime were especially struck with his reverence in prayer. In earlier days he himself had taken the service at the grave at Dr. Gill's funeral at Bunhill Fields. Wallen's beautiful hymn, Heal Mighty Jesus, How Divine, has often been claimed for Top Lady. Top Lady may have amended it and added a verse, but the hymn is Benjamin Wallen's. Top Lady's editor and the compiler of his works, Walter Rowe, had a bad habit of claiming other writers' hymns, even Wesley's, as Top Lady's. The one point that filled Wallen's heart and soul at the end of his life was the faithfulness of God. Gentle Mary, labor child, holy in a manger, there he lay, the undefiled, to the world a stranger, such a babe in such a place. Can he be the Savior, as the saved of all the race who have found his table? Gentle Mary, later child, gentle Mary, later child. Angels sang about his birth, wise men sought and found him, heaven's star shone brightly forth. The birth of the Lord Jesus was one of the great wonders of the world. And the scripture tells us in Luke chapter 1 that in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Heal thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing 
shall be impossible. Stay tuned with us as we bring you the Lord's message today on the King in His kingdom. Now, as Jesus, He is interested in saving His people. I know I've mentioned that before, but I think you, you can't overemphasize this one. He's interested in saving His people. You want to know what the Lord's interested in? Why is it that He sends missionaries around the world? Why is it that we have this Bible in our hand tonight? Why is it that there are missionary Bible organizations to distribute and publish this Word? Why does God call young men from the uh, menial, material tasks of life to give themselves to the preaching of the cross? Why does God work that in men's hearts? Because the Lord is interested in saving His people. And when He goes to save His people, He sends a preacher. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And if you're in the kingdom of Christ tonight, if you're a subject in His kingdom, your interest is pleasing your heavenly Father. Your interest is in reaching the souls of men who will be saved and brought into glory. There's another thing He's interested in, and that is in reigning in our hearts. And that's something that's very powerful, and it's life-changing. We're living in an age when the gospel is being preached as just a little fix-it job, a fire escape from hell, a put out the fire at least for a time. But the Lord Jesus didn't come to die on the cross to reign over a bunch of rebels. No, He came to rule over the hearts of men who would love Him, serve Him, delight in Him, and that they would love His Word. Now, I've been reading the book of 1 John this week, and a few verses came up. I'd like to share them with you. It's 1 John 3 and verse 2. And here, as you may know, John is dealing with true regeneration versus false profession. And he is saying in 1 John 3 and verse 2, "'Beloved, now are we the sons of God.'" And it doth not yet appear what, it, what we shall be, but we know that we shall be, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so this is the subject, the new birth. Now, if you go down to verse 23 and verse 24, you will see something that the mark of people who are truly born again this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him. And so I say it again, the Lord didn't come to reign over a bunch of rebels who have no interest in the Bible, no interest in his commandments or his word. And the two big marks that John points out if those that are truly born again, subjects of the kingdom of grace, they keep the Lord's commandments, and they love the brethren. Did you notice that in verse 23? And this is His commandment, that we should believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. And also in verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Now, there's the subject for another sermon. This morning it was love the church. It could well be a sermon on love the brethren. 
The mark of the new birth in the heart of a Christian is that you will love fellow Christians. You will have a special interest in them, in their welfare, in their company, in encouraging and building them up. And that becomes a commandment to us. We're commanded to love the brethren. And so if you stay home and watch television, when God's people are seeking to worship the Lord and stand for Him and live for truth, and you're hiving off doing your own agenda, doing your own thing, and you're not fellowshipping with your brethren, well, you're not keeping this great commandment to love the brethren. But if you can truly say tonight, I would, like the psalmist, I'd rather be in the house of God than be dwelling in the tent of wickedness. Indeed, the psalmist said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather take the very lowest position. And that doesn't mean what our deacons do every time they uh, usher people in and show them to your, your seat or welcome new people and give you a bulletin. It doesn't mean that we're giving our deacons the very lowest position. But a doorkeeper usually is a person, well, it's a very limited task small task. And he said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And that's the mark of the new birth. I'd rather take the back seat in God's house. I'd rather be a nobody in God's house than to be out in the world living for the flesh and my own gratification. This is the interest that ought to be in the heart of everyone that's born again. And so I commend you for coming to the house of God tonight. And I think we can rejoice that we encourage one another and we build up one another. This is our interest. Now, we come to the nativity. We come to the N word letter of the word king, the nativity of our king. Now, this nativity was announced to Mary back in verse 28, and the news came to her, uh, that a child would be born. But if you look down at verse 45, because this is the answer to the question that Mary asks, how shall this be? Saying, I know not a man. A virgin birth? How shall it be? This nativity. Well, Christ would be born. The, 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 the reply that uh, the angel gives to Mary, uh, the Holy Ghost, this is verse 35, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and overshadow thee. And so the Holy Spirit took full responsibility for the conception of this child. But that was only step one. Step one is the planting of this holy seed in the womb of Mary. Step two to this miracle of the incarnation is this. How did God prevent the sin of Mary passing through to the, to the child in her womb. God obviously did a miracle to prevent the sin of a father from passing to the child. That's the miraculous uh, fact that he was virgin conceived. But how did this fetus, embryo, child develop in the womb of Mary so that none of the sin of Mary's own heart or nature pass through to the child. Now, Roman Catholics answer this by going back a generation and say God did a miracle in the birth of the Virgin Mary. 
And you notice how I call that the Virgin Mary. That she was immaculately conceived. So what they do really do is they, they take this difficulty and they move it back a generation. And they say, well, Mary was sinless. Therefore, nothing of her nature that passed to the infant in her womb was sinful. And that's Roman Catholic doctrine. And they plead for the immaculate life and the immaculate conception of Mary. They pass it back a, a generation. But then the question is, what about her mother? What about her parents? How, how did this happen? How did she become uh, immaculate? And so all they do is they pass the whole difficulty back a generation. But what does the Scripture say? In this verse 35, you have this most amazing statement. The highest and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. That means during the gestation period of this development of the child in Mary's womb, the Holy Spirit overshadowed, protected the child. Now, the word overshadow can be translated envelop or envelope so that there was a supernatural protection that none of the sinful nature of Mary passed through to that child. Now, it defies all biology. It defies everything that gynecologists and obstetricians know. And Paul the Apostle said, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. This is miraculous. And we make no apology for the supernatural nature of this conception and development. Now, the birth in reality was a normal delivery. Uh, there was nothing unique or different about the actual delivery of the child uh, that night in the stable. Uh, this babe was born through the uh, birth canal uh, of Mary's womb, as other children are. But the miracle step one and two was the conception and the overshadowing or enveloping of that infant in the womb so that when he would come forth, he would have nothing of a father's nature or a mother's sinful nature. Now, he did have perfect human nature from Mary. None, no doubt about it whatsoever. And this is the reason why he is called the Son of Mary, but also the Son of God. Profound, amazing. And this has been the reason for angels singing. This has been the theme of poets to provide the very lyrics to sing of this miraculous union. And when we let the Lord Jesus speak for himself, he said, I and my Father are one. Wished ye not that I must be about my Father's business? Speaking of his heavenly Father. So that's the end of this king. We come to the G, the glory of our king. He possessed, because he was divine, an essential glory. He came from heaven, and while he entered into this state of humiliation, 
He never ceased to be God, never ceased to be the second person of the Trinity. He was always God prior to his incarnation and following. He also has an ecclesiastical glory because he came for his church, and for his church he lived and died. Now we're told here that he has also an eternal glory of his reign. There shall be no end. And that comes up in Revelation again, uh, the very song of the saints in, in heaven. They sing of his eternal glory. That got me thinking about Handel's Messiah, that amazing piece of work, the Hallelujah Chorus, and we normally just sing little bits and pieces of it here and then, but if you've ever listened to Handelmas uh, Hallelujah Chorus right through all three sections of that oratorio, you will find that this is the theme that he will reign forever and ever. Now, I want to I give you some of the words. I'm going to cut out one or two stanzas to get to this point, but uh, we'll jump in here. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, forever and ever, forever and ever, King of kings and Lord of lords, King of kings and Lord of lords and Lord of lords, and he shall reign, and he shall reign forever and ever, King of kings forever and ever, and Lord of lords, hallelujah, hallelujah, and he shall reign forever and ever, and King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then there's a whole string of hallelujahs. If you've ever listened to Handel's rendering of those great words, I wonder, is there anybody that could put together a choir to sing these great words of Handel's Messiah. Here's a challenge tonight. It's coming to the Christmas season. Handel's Messiah, by the way, was, uh, was, was first written for the Easter season, for that period known as Lent. And it was written way back in 1740s. And it was, uh, became famous when it was introduced in London, England. But of recent, it has become more famous because of the advent of our Lord and of his entrance into the world. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of work. But it emphasizes the eternal glory of the Lord Jesus. He's king, and no election shall oust him. No army shall disarm him and no successor shall dethrone him. I want to close with the words of Mary, or the words of the angel to Mary, for with God all things are possible. Nothing shall be impossible. If it's possible for God to take his own Son 
who's the Son of God, and unite him to be the Son of Mary, one person in two natures, that he would receive glory forever and ever and ever. It's possible that he can take a sinner such as you and save your soul, that you will reign with him in his kingdom forever and ever and ever. I wonder tonight, will you make him Lord, King of your life? It will mean total surrender. It will mean that you come and sit at his feet to find his mercy. It means total confession of all sin. It means a complete repentance of the world. And it means that you become a subject and Christ becomes king of your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. Are you willing tonight? Some young person here, and you've heard the gospel for years already, but you're not saved. You've never surrendered your heart personally, individually, that you can say with all your heart tonight, the Lord Jesus is king of my life. And yet that's what Christmas, that's what the birth of Christ is all about. He was born into the world that he might be born in you. Will you trust him tonight? Will you make him king of your life? That's the challenge that this announcement of Gabriel brings. is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale. 
located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdealfpc.ca and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word. Music